morning. Aren't you thankful for God's grace in your life? And uh, it's great we can sing about it, but it's even more important that we, we live in light of it and, and allowing God to work in our hearts. It's a, a privilege to be here with you today. And uh, thank you to Dr. Anderson, your recent theft notwithstanding, uh, for inviting me to be here today. Originally, my wife had planned to accompany me, but she had a higher calling. She's attending to one of my grandsons today, so uh, we all understand where priorities are. Uh, but I had the, the blessing of being able to stay in one of the guest rooms last evening, um, so I didn't have to drive up from Chicago this morning. And my wife sent me a message this morning, and she said she would be praying that we would have a, a good time together in chapel. And we, she sent me this little quote from Spurgeon. And, and Spurgeon, uh, to this effect, I can't remember the exact wording, but the effect of it was that uh, preaching from his pulpit was more influential than something coming from the throne of the King of England. And, you know, Spurgeon preached to a lot of people, but that wasn't his point. And Spurgeon preached with great eloquence, and people would flock to hear him, but that wasn't his point. But his point was, you know what, when God's word is declared from pulpits like this, that is a message from the throne of God, from the throne of heaven. And that's far more important than anything that might come from any earthly authority. So I trust uh, this morning that, that God will give me grace uh, to declare his word uh, accurately, um, powerfully, as directed by his spirit. And that God would give you grace to, to listen and hear. And if I fumble around and misspeak, you just look past that and, and take to heart what God's word says. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll get, bit, we'll get started. Father, we are thankful for the word of God. We're thankful, Father, that we live in a day when we have just plentiful access to your word and we have the freedoms in this nation to gather together openly without concern for intrusion and, and declare the riches of your grace. And I pray, Father, as we spend a few minutes this morning in the word of God, I pray that you would give boldness, give liberty to me as I speak your word. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would take your word and minister it to the hearts of, of these, your people, that they might be challenged, that they might be helped, that they might be convicted, that they might be encouraged, that they might be changed. And so we commit this to you now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me ask you to open in your Bibles, if you would, to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, and those of you that are familiar with Old Testament Bible content, you know that that's the passage that talks about the 12 spies, or I suppose in military parlance, we would say the 12 scouts, you know, who were sent ahead to see, uh, see what was there. And uh, they were positioned, the nation was positioned in a place called Kadesh Barnea, um, south of the Promised Land, kind of on the, the border there between Edom and, and what would one day be the nation Israel. And, and God directed that they go and see what he had prepared there uh, for them. And, and this is a passage that really holds special significance for my, my wife and I. About 20 years ago, um, we felt the Lord was prompting us to a change in, in ministry. Uh, change in uh, the, the place where we would minister and, and even the nature and, and the focus of that ministry. And, and the Lord had opened up a really excellent opportunity, but we were just struggling with, should we do this or not? We had six kids. 
Um, you know, the oldest of them was like a junior in high school. And, you know, a, a word to the wise, if you want to create unrest for your kids, have them move right before they go into their senior year of high school, right? And, and so there were just different obstacles of all kinds of sorts. And so uh, when this, this church had asked us if we would come, you know, it had been weeks and, you know, I had kept coming back and saying, we need a little more time. We're, we're just not certain. We, we wanted to be sure, you know, and, and just this has nothing to do with the message. But, but let me just encourage you, be sure that God is leading you. And, and if you are, you'll never look back because obstacles will come. Challenges will come. But if you're sure that this is what God is doing in your life, then you press forward with full. And we wanted to be sure. But we found ourselves kind of weighing the pros and cons, which there's a place for that. But, you know, not not always a good place. And, and there was an evening where uh, I was reading, and, and there's a parallel passage where this, this same account is, you know, given to us again in Deuteronomy 1. And, and I was reading in one or the other, and the next morning my wife was reading in the other one, and, and we both sat down and came together and said, you know, the Lord is telling me that uh, we just need to focus on the opportunity and let go of the obstacles. And, and we were absolutely persuaded. And, and, you know, we went forward on that basis, and it was a glorious thing. And it was a blessing. So ever since then, this passage has always been a special one uh, for us personally. And, and it just really helped us to realize that, um, you know, when you make decisions in life, you know, it's important that you, yes, see those opportunities and, and not let the obstacles crowd out the opportunities. And as you go forward on that basis, you know, you, you begin to just set a direction for your life. Um, that, that is going to have impact for, for years and years down the road. So if I were going to give this a title this morning, I'd call it Choosing the Direction of Your Life. And, and I have three questions for you to consider in your heart, three choices, three things that will impact the direction that you'll take in the days ahead. I mean, all of you, well, not all of you, some of us here are older, but, but you know, the, the bulk of you um, are at a stage in life where you're making key decisions. Now, every day we make important decisions, and life is the accumulation of lots and millions of little decisions, but sometimes there are bigger defining decisions as well. And, you know, you've already made a good decision to, to get your college education in a place where God's Word is proclaimed, where, where people encourage you to, to live for the Lord Jesus. Some of you are making decisions, maybe you're a freshman, maybe you're a little past that, about your major, about, about your vocation, about your ministry calling, about what you're going to do for your life's work. You're maybe making decisions about the person you're going to share life with. And all these and, and different things uh, are before you. And, and so I, I want to preach a message just to kind of help you consider some things as you face those various decisions. Now, I tell my church this all the time. On, on Sunday, I preached a message that actually had eight considerations. And I told him up front, I said, okay, 80% of this message is going to be on point one, just so you don't get concerned, all right? So I always spend more time um, at the outset, and that's what we'll do here this morning. So here's, here's the first question that we're going to ask in light of this passage. We'll read a few parts of it as we go. Trust is familiar to you. But the first question is, who are you going to listen to? Or, or, or maybe another way of saying it is, who are you listening to? There are many voices, if I can use that expression, trying to get your attention. You know, prompting you to go in, in this direction or that direction. And, and sadly, sometimes those voices are quite contradictory. And that was what happened in this case with the 12, the 12 spies. Take a look here, Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. 
says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. Now, before we look at the perspective, the conclusion that these men came back with, let me just talk about some things that these men all had in common. They were all leaders in Israel. Verse 3 says that all of those men were heads of the children of Israel, leaders in their tribes, influential men. They all knew God's plan. They knew what God was intending. I mean, all along, God had promised to bring them out of of Egypt to to a land that had been promised to Abraham and to the patriarchs, the promised land, And, and they knew that was the goal. They knew that's what God wanted to do in their lives. They had all seen God's power. Every one of these 12 men had observed what God did in the plagues in Egypt. Every one of them had seen God part the Red Sea before them. Every one of them had walked through on the dry ground. Every one of them had watched as God collapsed the Red Sea back upon their pursuers, upon the Egyptians. Uh, They had seen all these things. Not too long before this, they had seen God give victory over the Amalekites as as Moses stood on the the mountaintop there and watched the battle raging and Aaron and Hur held up his arms and they saw how God gave them victory. They were an untested army. They weren't equipped, but God gave them victory. Um, They they had seen, you know, and and were seeing the Shekinah glory cloud and the pillar of God by night. So all of these men, they're seeing, experiencing the hand of God in profound ways. And they'd all experienced God's provision every day, six days of the week. They were picking up that manna, you know, that that came from God. They they had seen God a little bit earlier provide quail. They had seen God provide water from a rock. And, And they all, as they went into the land, they all saw the potential, the richness, and the opportunity that was there. Look at verse 23 in Numbers chapter 13. It says, they came unto the brook of Eschol, and they cut down from thence a branch of one cluster of grapes. Just one cluster. Now, when we serve grapes in our home, and we do a lot, a cluster is about this big, okay? This is one single cluster of grapes so big that they had to kind of layer it over a big old stick, and two guys had to carry it. You know, we, we picture big bunches of bananas bigger than that, right? This huge cluster of grapes. And they brought the pomegranates and all the figs. All these men saw and, and in fact testified to the fruitfulness of, of God's plan for them, of this land that had been promised them. And, and I believe that they all had a desire to prosper. They wanted to experience the victory that God had, uh, had told them about. They wanted God's best. They wanted to go into the promised land. That was true for for all of them. But then, after they came back from having viewed the land, they came to very different conclusions. You know, there were the two, of course, Joshua and Caleb. I always ask people whenever I'm talking about this passage, can anybody name the other ten? Okay, maybe you can, I'll be impressed, okay? But but most of us can't. We've read those names many times, but we don't remember. We remember two of them. Remember Joshua and Caleb. And, and the problem here was that those other ten, they chose to focus on the obstacles, on the things that scared them, on the things that tested their faith, on the things that were, were hard to kind of deal with. Take a look at verse 25. It says, They returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and they came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel. And they brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Verse 27 says, And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. It really was a rich land. 
And this is the fruit of it. You know, those grapes, other things that they brought. Nevertheless, okay, but, <laughs> now they highlight three things. The people be strong that dwell in the land. And, and the cities are, are walled, they're, they're well defended, they're very great. And moreover, we saw thirdly, the children of, of Anak, giants there. So, so they see these strong people, these walled cities, and these giants. And that instills fear and concern. Makes them wonder if they can really do it. And so they say, I don't think we should go. Now, now Caleb and Joshua, of course, chose to focus on the opportunities. Verse 30 says, and Caleb stilled the people. So what I think is going on here is they're talking about giants, walled cities, strong people. And all the people are going, oh, we don't, we shouldn't go. And Caleb says, stop, stop. And, and he stills the people. And he says, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, I don't think that means that, that Caleb thinks we are such a seasoned fighting force. What he realizes is, you know what? God tells us to go. God's promised his presence. God has said he'll fight for us. You know, let's go and do that. God's going to do exactly what he said. And, and we are well able with God's help to overcome it. Verse 31 says, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that are there are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. So you have Joshua and Caleb believing that God would do what he promised and the other ten choosing to walk by sight rather than by faith. And the writer of Hebrews calls this an evil heart of unbelief, unwilling to believe God's promises, unwilling to rest in God's strength. Someone has well said that unbelief always sees the obstacles, faith always sees the opportunities. Now, Brother Anderson wants a sea story, so I'll give you a sea story. Not the sort that you maybe are anticipating. It's a little bit different, but I did spend some number of years of my life underwater on a submarine. And uh, in, in some sense, it's a very, very, there can be really, really exciting times, and there can be really, really mundane times. Uh, but even in those mundane times, there are ways to make things interesting. And uh, on, on board ship, uh, you have watch cycles every six hours. So somebody's on for six hours, another group, another group, you know, throughout the day. So they serve meals four times a day, 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m., and then what's called mid-rats at midnight. So there's meals all, every, every six hours at the watch change times. And uh, on our ship uh, at the time, I was the, the engineer officer, my, uh, my boss, the skipper, he would uh, be up until midnight, then he'd sleep for six hours, and the XO would take over as the CDO. So the XO would sleep during the evening hours. And every night, okay, in the, in the wardroom there where the officers would gather, um, there would be, uh, the mid-rats would be there, and the XO would come in, and, and there's two things that are amazing about the food on a submarine. There's many things that are bad, you know, no fresh produce, no milk, that kind of stuff. But there's two things that are really fabulous. You have a night baker, fresh baked goods every single night, and you can smell it throughout the ship. Second thing is soft serve ice cream 24-7. And if that ice cream machine ever breaks down, woe be unto those A-gangers if they do not get it up and running almost immediately. So our XO every night would come walking into the wardroom with this bowl about this high of soft serve ice cream. This was his ritual. 
And, and he brought along with him his own personal case of Hershey's chocolate syrup. So he always had a bottle of chocolate syrup in the, in the refrigerator. And so he'd go into the refrigerator, he'd grab that, and he would just goober that chocolate syrup all over that big stack of ice cream and, and take that, and then he would go on watch. Now, one of the other things about submarine life is, you know, when it's nighttime, if you're going to be up around the control room, you, you may have to, for, the, for certain officers, look out the periscope. And, and nowadays they have light-enhanced, you know, video stuff. But back in the old days, okay, in, in, the, in the days of wooden ships and iron men, it was the Mark I Mod Zero eyeball, right? You just look out the periscope, and, and if it's night, you got to be night adapted. So if you were somebody like the XO, um, when it came time to go on watch, the messenger would come, in, would come around, make sure you're awake, ready to go on watch, and he'd hand you a pair of rigged for red glasses. And, and these were kind of like a big wraparound sunglass that was in a dark red tint so that if you're walking around below decks where the lights are on, you would night adapt, right? Your, your eyes would be, you'd be ready to go up in the control room where it's dark if you have to look out the periscope. And, and it came to our realization two things. One is that the constituency of chocolate syrup and the constituency of ketchup is quite similar. And it also came to our realization that when you look at chocolate syrup through rigged for red glasses, it looks a lot like ketchup. So there came that fateful day and, and we replaced the chocolate syrup, filled that Hershey's bottle full of ketchup. And that was the night when everybody in the wardroom who wasn't on watch decided they were going to have mid-rats. Right? We're all gathered in there waiting. In comes the XO with his piled high white you know, I mean, his piled high uh, soft serve vanilla ice cream. And he sits down at the table, he walks in, he grabs his Hershey's syrup, and we watch him as he just slathers this ketchup all over that ice cream. And we're doing our best just to keep a straight face because we're waiting for the moment, right? And so in comes a spoon, and he just spews that. It's kind of like when the Lord spews the, the lukewarmness, and he just spewed that all over the wardroom table. It was glorious, okay? <laughs> And, and, and you say, okay, nice story, what's, what's your point? You didn't come for sea stories. Well, maybe you did, but, you know, didn't come for sea stories. Um, but it's this. You know, you can be looking at the same thing through this lens or this lens and see something that is very, very different. You know, in the case of the, of the spies, there was a lens of faith and there was a lens of fear a lens of faith, a lens of the flesh. And so here you have these men with all these things in common, looking at the same lay of the land, looking at the same circumstances, the same obstacles, the same opportunities. And Caleb and Joshua, they see the good stuff. And they're willing to trust God to overcome the bad stuff. But the other, the other ten, their, their lens is polarized such that they just can't get their eyes off of those things that threaten them and challenge their faith. And they're not willing to take that step to live by faith. And, and young people, as you talk to people, as you get advice, encouragement, counsel, all kinds of different things, you, know, you need to decide who you're going to listen to. Are you going to listen to those who see through the lens of faith? Are you going to listen to those who see through the lens of self and the flesh and what I want and what makes me feel secure and, and what seems to be an easier a time? 
And if you think about it, the nation as a whole, they'd all shared in all those things too. They'd walked across the Red Sea. They'd seen the plagues in Egypt. All those different things. They all had opportunity to see those things as well. But they chose to listen to the voices of fear and frustration and the flesh. And young people, you have... You have experienced already in your lives so many opportunities. And and you have seen God's good hand in your life. But that doesn't guarantee that if you let your guard down, you might not listen to the wrong voices. You need to listen to those who, who point you to the word of God. Most of us are familiar with Psalm 1. It says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Man who doesn't stand in the way of sinners doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. So you need to listen to those who have a heart to trust God. Those like Caleb and Joshua don't listen to the voices of fear and and frustration and the flesh. There are a lot of believing people who are are glad to, to follow God, so to speak, as long as it doesn't get too hard as long as things are going well. You know, what what God is looking for is men and women who will follow him no matter what. And you know, when when you start to walk away from that, when you start to let your circumstances dictate a a life of of fear and unwillingness to trust God, um, things get bad fast. And and, and the, the ramifications are significant. Take a look at Numbers 14, first verse. It says, all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? You think they really meant that? I don't think so. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and return unto Egypt. Folks, that's how the flesh responds when you decide that you're not going to let faith carry you through. And you begin to see not only what's there, but you assume even the worst when you get focused on those obstacles, on those hardships. In, in the Deuteronomy 1 account, Moses, we're told, also appealed to them. So you've got Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. You know, if I'm the children of Israel, I would like to think that those three men would have credibility, that I would listen to them and, and not to these others. But, but that would be arrogant on my part to think that, that I could go down that road too. You know, we, we need God's grace to discern and listen to the right voices. To, to appeal to those who will point us in the, the right direction. And this is an important thing to God. In verse 32 of Numbers 14, you know, the Bible never soft pedals things. It says, but as for you, your carcasses, they'll fall in the wilderness. And your children will wander in the wilderness 40 years. That's, that's one year for each day that the spies were spying it out. It's a sobering message. And it's one that Paul says is for us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he says, Now, all these things are written for our, are, are written, are, well, excuse me, happened unto them for examples, and they're written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Young people, you need to decide. As you look at what God has put before you, the, the circumstances, the challenges, the opportunities, the choices, 
you need to ask yourself, who am I going to listen to? Because you're going to listen to someone. And, and we live in a day when there are, there are sadly way too many voices. You know, there, there are, are blessings to being able to search things out on the internet, but man, there's an answer for, and, and, and sadly, young folks, sometimes you listen to voices where you really don't know who that person is. You, you have parents, you have pastors, you have faculty members, teachers, advisors, you know, people that you know personally, people where you are, are witness to their lives. And let me encourage you to listen to their voices first, not to someone that is a celebrity or whatever, and they have a big audience. But we need to listen to those who want to point us to the word of God, those who want to direct us to live for God, those who want us to put our priorities on the things of God. So that's, that's the first question. Who are you listening to? Second, what are you going to live for? Maybe I should say, who are you going to live for? And, and let me just share some simple things that you all know. You know, sometimes we come to, to preaching and we think, I need something new and profound and, and insightful. You know, that's not the way the Bible works. I mean, if you study, you keep finding things. You say, wow, how did I never see that before? But, but the fact is, mostly what the Bible does is tells us certain key truths again and again and again and again because we're people who need reminding. We're, need, we're people who need encouraging. We're people who need challenging. So here's the first challenge I would give to you. Live for Jesus, not for stuff. Right? Not for success, not for comfort, not for power, not for money. Live for Jesus. And, and you've heard that appeal many times. But, you know, I, I would encourage you each morning as you wake up, say, Lord, would you help me to live for Jesus today? You know, would you help me to keep my eyes on him? Would you help me to, to follow your word and, and not my own impulses and my own inclinations? Help me to live for Jesus. I, I love what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 7. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You know, as, a, as a young Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, he was, uh, he was a scholar. He was zealous. He had a pedigree. Um, he was respected in, in his circles, but he left all that behind. And the next verse, verse 8, he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ. And that's the heart that I ask God to give me day by day by day. And I encourage you to do that as well. And that's not something that just happens naturally. But it is something that God, by his grace, can bring about more and more and more in your life and in mine. He'll enable you. He'll, he'll take care of you. Right? He'll provide for you. He'll supply all your need if you will choose to live for him, to love him, to obey him, to follow him. Live for Jesus, not for stuff. Invest your life in people, not pleasure. You know, Moses uh, grew up in the, the palace in Egypt, as it were. And Hebrews 11.25 tells us that Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And there are things out there that seem really attractive, really appealing. Some of them are outright wrong and sinful. Some of them may not be wrong, but they may be distractions that are just going to pull your eyes away from the things of God. And, and, and we need to choose you know, to, to invest our lives in in people, 
and, and look for opportunities to minister to people rather than doing what feels best, is most fun, is our natural inclination. You need to invest your life in people, not pleasure. Look for opportunities to serve, not be served. That was Jesus' testimony. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said this about himself. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, not to be served, but to minister, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I'm almost out of time, but I'll share one story from the, the Schlegel kitchen when our kids were, were younger. You know? So at one point we had six kids, all of them high school age and down, and, and we would try very hard as many days as we could, hopefully every day, but as many days as we could, to always have dinner together with everybody at the table. And, and you know, life happens in sports and music and travels and whatever, but that's, that's what we tried to do. And, and so my wife is cooking for a, a sizable group. That was just daily stuff for her. And it's always a challenge to get everything on the table hot, ready, get everybody to the table all at the same time. And, and, and our family was big-time milk drinkers. I still am. Most of my kids still are, but it used to be eight glasses of milk at the table. And, you know, you'd sit down and you'd look around and all the glasses are empty and the milk's in the refrigerator. And in that moment, I have, I have a choice. I can do one of maybe three things. One is I can give my kids the death stare and say, you know, I paid for that milk. You go get it. You know, I could do that. I could, uh, I could say, fine, nobody's moving, I'll get the milk and humph and whatever and go over and get the milk and, and pour it and splatter a little bit here and there. Or I could choose to serve my family, get up, grab the milk, pour everybody milk. Would you like a little bit more? You know, put it back. And in, in our daily life, we have choices like that all the time. Am I looking to be served? Or do I have a heart to serve? And let me encourage you. Ask, ask God for the grace to develop in you a spirit of serving others, of ministering to others, of making a difference in the life of others. Some of you are familiar with the name C.T. Studd. He was wealthy. He was a, a cricketer, not a cricketeer, a cricketer. And he was like the guy who would have been the number one draft pick overall, you know, in the world of cricket had he continued playing. He was one of the Cambridge Seven, a, a group of very, very godly young men. Um, and, and when he was about your age, he decided to give away all his wealth. And he decided to uh, enter into missionary service. He went first to China, then to India than to the Congo in, in Africa. And you're probably familiar with his poem. You know, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, young people, who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to live for? And, and lastly, when are you going to start? You know, we, we need to be intentional. The flesh loves to go with the flow. And, and to put things off and say, you know, I'll, I'll get to that. Yeah, that's important. I should do that. I'll, I'll get to that. But the flesh is just kind of go with the flow. Well, you see where going with the flow got the nation Israel. You know, it got them 40 years in the wilderness. And, and it's really important for us to make intentional, purposeful choices about how we're going to live our life, what our priorities are going to be. You're all familiar with, with the book of Daniel. And you're familiar with that passage right near the right at the beginning, chapter one and verse eight, where Daniel, as a as a young man, probably younger than almost everybody here, and and we're told that Daniel purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to defile himself, and and he decided he was going to make a decision contrary to to what his peers were probably doing, contrary to what the circumstances would suggest, contrary even to what the 
the flesh might desire. I mean, who doesn't want to eat the best food the king has to offer? And Daniel said, you know what? Out of, out of honor to God and, and service to God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go that road. But, you know, it wasn't just an empty intention. Then he acted on it. He went to that prince of the eunuchs, and he said, you know, this is my desire, so I, I'm going to take a step. And young people, as you, you know, you sit in preaching here day, day by day by day, and I am sure that, that God convicts you often. But when you're done, don't just kind of nod your head and say, yeah, that, that's true, that's a need in my life, but you purpose in your heart, God, help me to change now. Let this matter. Let me walk away from here with a, with a new intention, and, and let me take steps to, uh, to act upon that. A generation later, the children of Israel finally did enter the promised land. But there were still obstacles. There were still battles to fight. There were still challenges before them. And in Joshua 24, 15, another familiar verse, Joshua says, if it seems evil to you this day to serve the Lord. Now, if it's a bad thing, something that doesn't seem important, he says, no, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to choose this day who you're going to serve. Whether the gods that your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood of the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and let me encourage you to decide now, today, you know, today I'm going to serve the Lord. By God's grace, tomorrow I'm going to serve the Lord. Each day, day by day, as for me, as for the family the Lord gives me, as for those that I am able to influence with my voice, I want to, I want to serve the Lord. I need to wrap this up. And I hope it strikes a chord, not because it's something new you haven't heard before. But we do need to be challenged and encouraged regularly you know, to keep Jesus first, to, to make serving him our priority, and to, to do something when God puts it on your heart. Take a step. Act. Move forward by God's grace. You, you may be characteristically on sound footing in your Christian life right now. Well, praise God for that. Keep it there. Keep going forward. You may be stagnant. If so, it's time to start moving forward. You may be struggling as a believer. You know what? God's a God of forgiveness and a God of grace and a God of enabling. And, and he'll help you turn that around if you'll say, Lord, I, I want to live for you. you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling loving you as I ought, but help me to love you as I ought. Help me to live for you as I ought. Listen to those with a heart for God. Live for Jesus and start now. Yes, heads bowed, eyes closed. And maybe uh, you're here this morning and, and I, I trust that all of us could say, yes, I, I, I need a message like that to remind me of the need to keep going forward for God. But maybe the Lord has spoken to you in a particular way and, you're, and you would say, you know, Pastor, I... Uh, I really want to see some things turned around in my life. I need God's grace. I need God's help. Would you pray for me? If, if God's put that on your heart this morning, would you slip your hand up and take it back down? Amen. Amen. Our Father, I am thankful for the, the great attention of this group of students and faculty and staff here as well. And I'm thankful for the, the word of God and how you've given us in your word everything that pertains unto life and godliness. And I pray, Father, that as we consider these things, myself included, as we reflect, as we take stock of our own lives, that we would, by, by your grace, choose day by day by day to live for you, to, to serve you, 
to minister to others, to invest in the lives of others, all for your honor and your glory. Bless us now as we go on to class and the other things of this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.